welcome to episode 10 of Legally Different. Thanks so much for tuning in. My guest in this episode is Louise Mason. And oh, I don't even know where to start um, with explaining who she is and what she does. She's so awesome. Um, And some of our conversations gave me full body chills. So Louise started out her professional career um, at a Magic Circle law firm, one of the biggest in the UK and can now be found more in the creative music industry. Um, She's a freelance audio producer, a radio presenter, and a music journalist. Wow. And yeah, she's done loads of things in those areas over time, but some of the current things she's involved with are, she um, produces and presents a radio show called The Flipside for Reform Radio. She produces a number of podcasts, including Annie Max podcast. So, you know, no podcasting pressure here at all. And she's a reporter for BBC Six Music. And yeah, Louise has a ton of Northern charm. She's so real and easy to connect with. And that's really one of the things I appreciated about her in this conversation, how open and real she was, particularly around mental health. Um, we, I think we have one of the most yeah, realist and open conversations I've had, certainly on a recorded basis, but maybe ever around mental health in general, but particularly in law. And yeah, Louise shares her journey with depression, which she first experienced when she qualified as a lawyer. And she shares very openly about what she went through at that time, how she navigated through it. And... And yeah, again, just to emphasize how open and real she was, which, you know, so refreshing to hear. Um, And yeah, we go into all sorts of things. Obviously her life in the creative music industry. Um, We have loads of different conversations. We have a really interesting one about labels and how we get really attached to them and what they mean. That was, yeah, awesome to dive into that. Yeah, so many different things. It's really, really interesting, engaging and real episode. Um, So yeah, I'll leave you to dive into it for yourself. And yeah, I'll see you on the other side or the flip side, I should say. Um, Oh, just one other thing actually I wanted to mention. About halfway through when I'm speaking, you might hear something in the background and basically it's the wind. It was a really windy day when we recorded this um, around mid-Jan. I don't know if you remember that in the UK when we had a couple of really windy days. And when I was about halfway through the recording, I just tuned into the wind and thought, whoa, you can really hear that. But, um, you know, short of having a recording studio, which I don't, there wasn't a lot I could do. And yeah, Louise was just sharing so many gems or bangers, as she would call them. And I was like, the wind ain't stopping us. We're going. So, yeah, the audio quality is completely fine. You can definitely still hear our, you know, our voices uh, are audible and fine. And it's just if you listen really, really carefully, you might hear something in the background. um, And that's what it is. Um, so yeah, just wanted to flag that. So yeah, I'll leave you to dive into it. As always, feel free to reach out to me um, to let me know what you thought about the episode, what you resonated with. I love hearing from you. 
and if it feels aligned and you feel called to do so, um, it's always appreciated when people leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So, yep, that would be awesome if you could and subscribe on your usual podcasting um, platform. So, yeah, I'll leave it there now and sit back, relax, enjoy, be inspired, and I'll see you on the flip side. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Good, thanks. Thanks so much for joining. I've been really excited about having you on for ages. Um, As you know, I love what you do. I think it's super creative and cool. Um, So for those of you that don't know, Louise is, I would say, in in the music sector. And she's a freelance radio and audio producer, presenter and music journalist. Bit of a mouthful, that, isn't it? (laughs) and I've been keen to have you on because not only don't I have anyone in my sphere in that sort of sector but I definitely don't have anyone in my sphere who I know is a lawyer and is in that sector um so yeah I think it's really really cool and different and I'm definitely feeling the podcasting pressure here because (laughs) one of the many strings to your bow is podcast producing and um yeah one of the podcasts you produce at the moment is is Annie Max isn't it it is, yeah, yeah, and we just started recording um, series three of Changes with some really exciting guests. So yeah, it's actually very weird for me to be on a call being interviewed because I've yeah. never done that before. <laughs> yeah, bet. yeah, amazing. So we'll dive into all that sort of creative music producer side because I'd love to hear more about it. But um, let's start and rewind back a bit to when Louise was a budding aspiring lawyer um I'd love to hear about your path into law and why you wanted to become a lawyer well I mean it's kind of weird to be honest well not weird but I I've always was very creative and into music and dancing and things as a kid but I also was um Oh, it sounds really silly saying that, intellectual. I liked I liked kind of challenging myself and stuff. And at school was probably known as being a bit of a SWAT, to be honest. <laughs> um, and so... Oh, I, that word SWAT, I've not heard it in oh ages. Oh, God, it takes you back to being a school child, doesn't yeah. it? But, um, yeah, but I, I loved English and things like that. And um, I don't know, I just when I thought about what I wanted to do, I always came back to the idea that I liked people and I wanted to help people which I'm sure so many people say that and you laugh and think roll your eyes yeah okay Louise you know human rights lawyer type thing um but that was it I wanted to help people and I just found it really interesting the idea of how we're governed and that kind of thing but always the stuff that was more people related and so yeah I applied to do law but at the same time, I thought about going to musical theatre school and I did all my dance exams and my singing exams and everything. So it was I was totally torn and always have been, which I think is kind of interesting now that I'm doing two very separate things as I'm as an adult. Um, but I remember my dance teacher saying, if you have any doubts at all, like if you're even questioning going down the route of 
musical theatre, then don't do it because you have to be so hard and absolutely that is all you want kind of thing. So I went down the more sensible route, I suppose, and went to study law, never fully knowing that I would be a lawyer, but wanting to do something or study something that I found interesting. And it was like I absolutely loved my degree. If anybody ever wanted to do a law degree, um, you know, despite the fact in the end I've ended up walking away from the that the world in some ways, um, I loved my degree and uh, yeah I did stuff like human rights, law, medicine, ethics, you know my dissertation was on um, the law behind embryo research and parental status so everything wow. I did was was very people focused and definitely the medical side of law um, was something that really uh, interested me and employment law and so I did lots of things that were very people focused. So it's always been about people, which sounds cliche, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I get it. And it's interesting, actually. I'd say most of the guests that come on say it, it was the people element and that they wanted to help, um, which is a really interesting theme that keeps cropping up. And it's interesting what you say there, actually, about um, you felt like you had to choose the two different routes. And I guess in the early stages, there is that element of, of having to choose because yeah in some ways you do have to be all in in something but it's interesting how things have quickly changed since then to now when when now it's it's becoming more normalized to wear a number of different hats and be yeah. um multi-hyphened and multifaceted so it's interesting yeah how you're now able to do a number of those things but yeah. I appreciate that's not how it started and it was no. kind of just the way things were then wasn't it yeah and then I suppose once you're at uni and this is probably the path for any young person you do get asked you know what you're going to do what you're going to do and and I, I do feel sorry for people because you know I'm 33 now and I and I couldn't say with complete certainty that what I'm doing now is going to be what I do forever and so I think asking an 18 year old what are they going to do for their life is, is a lot of pressure isn't it but at the time um, because of that and because of people asking you you know what route you're going to go down you know in law you follow a very obvious path don't you and you apply as you have to decide First, are you going to be a solicitor or a barrister? That's like number one. And then once you've decided that, it's like applying for training contracts. And I suppose when you're surrounded by people that are doing the same thing, you just go, okay, this is what I've got to do. And and, and I'm sure there are some people that did a law degree and then walked away and didn't do it. But the majority that I knew all were focused and very high achieving and, and they just were all applying for training contracts or for pupillage and you just got on that treadmill and rolled with it and and it didn't even kind of come up in my mind that it was an option even to not do that and so mm. when people say to me how did you end up working at Allen & Overy which you know is a magic circle firm and I always feel like I sound like an absolute ass saying, oh, yeah, it's one of the biggest law firms in the world. But <laughs> it's, I only say that so that people understand the magnitude of the pressure, I suppose, of being there and what came with it. For me, anyway, maybe not for other people. But I don't know, when you get offered a place at somewhere like that, it's a bit like getting offered a place at Oxford or Cambridge. You, you kind of don't say no. And if you do 
you have to be fully convinced as to who you are and why why you're doing that. And I suppose for me, or, or should I say, if you're applying for Oxford or Cambridge or a Magic Circle firm, normally it's because that is 100% what you want to do and this is where I'm going to be and, you know, I will accept nothing less. I was not like that at all. I went to a committee or was on a committee at uni which organised a lot of law events, like parties and stuff as well, not just, you know, the boring stuff um but it was it was sponsored by a and o and um one of the women who was at hr there she said to me are you going to apply for a cha- for a vacation scheme in the summer which then normally leads on to a training contract if you do well as you'll know but anyone that doesn't and um yeah i just thought oh god what london oh hell you know i was in manchester uni and i was like oh i've never even thought of going there not sure about that but i applied and some of the people that i met doing that vacation scheme are to this day my best friends and you know i would never change it for the world that i did it and it was amazing and you get thrown into this environment with all these amazing benefits well and not benefits but like people were so lovely and you weren't doing the stupid hours because you're on a vacation scheme so you're doing like nine to five or whatever and you're going to these nice dinners and they basically kind of wine and dine you don't they and Mm. I am not easily impressed by that kind of stuff at all but you definitely got an impression that it was a nice place to work that's that's all I could have say that I would take from it I wasn't like oh I really want this lifestyle but when they offered me a training contract in truth it was the only training contract I was offered and I mean what a one to be offered but Mm. it wasn't like I had like a small firm in Manchester that I'd also applied to that gave me one because I just hadn't gone down that route and so when it when it when it came into my life that was the option that was the route and I took it Mm. it just didn't even occur to me that it was an option to say no yeah yeah I feel you with that and yeah I love your journey into law it's like in some ways you fell into it but it was done with so much ease but I think it it sounds like it came from such a place of authenticity and kind of going with the flow which is quite a refreshing story compared to um, the typical sort of hammering out the applications and, fee- you know, being in the midst of all the competition. And it sounds like you're just being yourself in terms of, yeah, I don't know, running those events, helping out with the events, and they actually got to know you and things like that. Yeah, yeah. and also, like, most people who applied to Magic Circle firms applied to all of them, or at least a few of them, whereas I didn't. It was just because A&O had sponsored that committee, and so I was like, okay, let's let's see what this is like. Um, yeah. So it, it definitely, as you say, was from a place of authenticity. I wasn't trying to chase some London life that I didn't think I wanted. It mm. just was a let's see what this is like. Then I ended up getting offered it, and hey, presto, next thing I know, I'm in a flat in Angel walking to the College of Law in Morgay every day. You know, <laughs> it was it was just happened very fast. Um, yeah. But I say that as if anyone listening who does want to apply to those firms, that's probably thinking, 
screw you it's really hard to get in um I'm like no no it is hard to get in like I did have to like put in a lot of prep and all the rest of it but I mean I always joke I'm like I just was fulfilling the state school quota (laughs) 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 because I went to state school and I went to you know yeah Redbrick Uni but it was Manchester it wasn't Oxbridge um which is fantastic uni I loved it but like most people at A&O went to Oxbridge and most if not all went to private school um I don't really know any that went to state school apart from me (laughs) yeah likewise in terms of my journey I always felt like that a bit as well um am I feeling a quota here but um (laughs) well I didn't care but it, it was definitely something that crossed my mind imposter syndrome was undoubtedly a thing when I was there yeah yeah and what did you so you did your training contract and then what did you qualify into so yeah I did my training contract um in London um and I was in yeah you do four different seats don't you and one of them I went to Paris for six months which again was amazing wow yeah so I, I lived there for six months and had probably one of the happiest six months of my life in reflection it was absolutely amazing um but I qualified into employment law um but at the time I think there was only one position going in A&O's employment seat and I wasn't convinced about staying there anyway having done the training contract and realized quite how um all consuming it is of your life um and so they actually helped me get a job at a different firm at Stevenson Harwood in um London uh, in their employment team and a lot of their team had chained at A&O as well and gone there so um, that worked out well in terms of um, on paper like my my career it worked out well but that Mm. is when the cracks started to show 100% that's when yeah things things started to be questioned Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting that they helped you get um, that qualification role and speaks volumes about you. Definitely amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was really nice of them. They didn't just go, you know, we haven't got space for you. Jog on. Uh, yeah, they, they did help me. The, yeah, the woman who's the one of the partners there. She and they are amazing people. I have nothing bad to say about the people who I worked with, despite the fact that I ended up. Um, feeling the way that I did which I'm sure Mm. we'll talk about yeah yeah so you said then that's when I guess the the cracks started to appear you began to feel a bit off what what exactly was showing up for you what sort sort of thoughts and feelings were you having at the time so uh, when I when I qualified I just there was a huge change in my life in that I'd lived in Paris for six months had the most incredible time which you literally can't put into words you know you got put up in your own flat where there was five of us there having an amazing experience of of just being able to soak in this wonderful city and then we came back from qualification leave where you'd had six weeks off and we'd I'd gone traveling in Costa Rica and so I suppose in some ways you have like post-holiday post-ridiculous life blues um <laughs> but so I, I found myself um you know I say found myself I said yes to it but I was living in a flat in Islington with one of my best friends um and I was just starting as an associate 
at Stevenson Harwood. And it is notoriously known that you're the first six months of your career or as an associate, that step up from trainee to associate, you you will find it hard and that it's the hardest six months of your, your career probably. But for me, I was waking up every single day and just crying into my cereal. And my flatmate um, was just like, you know, what's wrong and what what's going on? And at the time, I honestly had no idea. I'd never, ever heard of depression. Well, maybe I had, but it hadn't even like lodged itself in my brain. I, no one talked about mental health stuff back then. Um, it wasn't something that occurred to me, but I just was waking up every day like sobbing. And then I'd go into work and I'd start feeling like I was having panic attacks sometimes and now I can identify them as panic attacks at the time I had no idea but I would go into the toilets and just break down and then have to brush myself off and come back out again and it just slowly got worse and worse and worse basically um and to the point where it was like that this can't continue like I don't know what I don't know what's wrong but you can't something's wrong and I can't continue Mm, yeah well thank you for sharing that so honestly I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with those sorts of thoughts and feelings and as you say it must have been hard back then because it definitely wasn't spoken about as much and and yeah there's a lot more conversations being had around it at the now which is great and obviously that's a great help to people and and I'm definitely all about championing championing those conversations but yeah I bet it was difficult as you say you'd never heard of depression and I don't think I had then and if I'd have had those feelings I probably would have thought no depression is something that happens to other people people. not me yeah um and I definitely felt sort of whispers of them I wouldn't say full-on darkness maybe more anxieties where I was at but again I probably would thought no I'm I'm like a strong robust lady that doesn't happen to me that's what happens to other people yeah. Um, but obviously now we know a lot more about it it doesn't mean you're not strong or you're not anything it's just yeah internal signs showing up and different feelings manifesting I guess yeah, yeah. and I remember going to the doctor because I had really bad stomach problems as well which um I thought must be tied up with it which later I realized actually no I needed a bowel operation um which oh, wow. when I was 30 uh, very suddenly but um that was happening at the time and I remember them saying to me you know you're really stressed and um you need to take time off and you know you're like do I just remember looking at the doctor being like you say that as if it's the easiest thing to do ever like I've literally just qualified as a lawyer um you know the expectation on you as um a newly qualified lawyer is it's huge and no one at um Stevenson Harwood um was I could I couldn't say a bad word about everyone everyone was lovely it's just part of the um I don't know the environment isn't it it's and it wasn't somebody telling me that um you couldn't take time off I just felt like that wasn't a possibility because you're you're you've never seen other people around meltdown or you've never seen anybody else say it's okay if you're struggling it's just presumed I think that everybody's fine unless you say otherwise Mm. and uh, you then just keep rolling on through and doing these long hours and having this pressure and I don't know I did question whether I was not very strong because I remember people used to say you know oh I just 
need the stamina and some people used to thrive off that environment and want to do all-nighters and it was almost like a gold badge that they'd done this all-night thing and then the deal was on the front of the FT the next day and they got a kick out of it and I was like I want to go to bed like I feel awful and I just never got it I remember doing an all-nighter at A&O once and it was the first time I'd done it, I think, and I'd had like two weeks of going to bed like half three in the morning and the last night was like 24 hours at my desk. Oh, not 24, like 48 hours at my desk. It was ridiculous. And loads of people will do that all the time. But I remember this woman coming in and being like, oh, you look a bit tired, Louise. Are you all right? And you know, you're like a bit tired. And she knew how long I'd been there. But it was almost like, we were robots and that you were expected to just get on with it and I don't know no no one ever said that like you have to just get on with this but it was just this silent expectation that you would just do what needed to be done regardless of the consequences I suppose um and in hindsight you know now I would never put up with that I just wouldn't put up with it but like at the time you're so young you're just going along with what what's what you think you have you have to do basically and I think at those places you do have to do that but when I say I wouldn't have put up with it I just would have been like this isn't for me I'm leaving like immediately mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I stayed because you have to you know you're tied in from a financial perspective as well and and I learned so much but the damage was huge and is still being um the impact of that is still being felt today for sure 100 percent mm-hmm. and I, I mean I'm get I'm a lot better now and well, I'm loads better, but you know, um, I, it's taken me a long time, like five years, I'd say, to feel better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say there. There's just an expect, a silent expectation that you do all of that work. And um, it's interesting when you said the badge of honor, like some people love doing the all nighters. I observed that and just thought, wow. And I definitely wasn't in that camp. I definitely valued my well-being and my sleep. Um, but there's definitely this this sort of, it's just that environment, isn't it, where everyone's like egging each other on and like, yeah. oh, how long did you work last night? And yeah. And I don't, don't get know. me wrong, I have some friends now who are lawyers who work at massive firms still, some who still work at A&O, and, and they thrive off it or if they don't thrive off it they know it's part of the job and they just get on with it and and it's Mm. fine it doesn't impact them in that the same way whereas Mm. for me it really did and that did make me question is there something wrong with me am I not strong enough have I not got the um enough I don't know I don't know am I weak in some way that I can't do this whereas now you know I would say to that person no don't be stupid it's just you're normal you're a human being that that's fine that it's not exactly capable of doing because not many people are exactly and we're all designed in different ways some people I think are designed to do that and operate in that way and they probably get caught up in a in a bit of like they want to get that gold badge as well but they are probably designed for a bit more but I think Yeah, it's about tuning into what makes you tick and the environment you thrive in and and how much work you're able to do and like how long you can focus for and things like that. And there's no right or wrong. I think the key these days, yeah, is tuning into 
who we are and I think it's an important thing for leaders of teams as well find out who their team are and what they're made up of and where they're best focused and I've learned a lot I don't know if you've heard of human design but it's like this next level way of understanding more about ourselves and um, it's really taught me a lot and helped me to own where my strengths are and when and where I'm best in terms of applying my energy and like you knowing what I know now I would definitely be firmer in my boundaries if I went yeah. back and did it all again that's it the um, boundaries thing isn't it yeah. and also um I think when you're young and you're wanting to impress and you're wanting to make an impression and you do everything you can to to I don't know be as good as possible and be meet expectations and I suppose in doing that you set the ground rules from the word go and once you've like done a week of staying late and not ever saying can I leave you've already set the boundary um Mm. and so yeah it's like something that now I'm aware that you have to set immediately what your what your boundary is Mm-hmm. I wonder if um, sort of the big law firms are still like that in the same way. I'm not plugged in enough these days to know. Um, I have heard they've made efforts to, um, like from friends and things who work there, to to pay more attention to mental health and there's different programmes that have been brought in. But I just wonder, again, how much they are sort of tick box policies which look good on the website that are not actually imp- implemented in reality. Um yeah, I don't actually know because I do mm. have friends, like I say, who are still um, still working at like Alan and Overeem things, um, mm. and I haven't I haven't ever asked them that. It might be quite an interesting thing to to say how how different um, is it. And to be fair, there were times when things didn't go brilliantly um, when I was at A and O with certain trainers and stuff and if I ever brought it up to HR it wasn't brushed under the carpet they did they did do something but Mm. there is just a general um I think that it is just also acknowledging that the ethos and the amount of work that you have to do to be a firm like that um was probably just not aligned with me but Mm. is with some of my friends you know and that's fine Mm -hmm. it's it's acknowledging that it's okay to 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 not be okay doing those things Mm, yeah yeah that's a good point so um you went through this period and you identified that it wasn't for you anymore working in that way what was your next step how did you make a change well to be honest it all had to crash to the floor before (laughs) before it could go they say you have to hit the bottom before you can get get up again don't they yeah Um, it's usually how it works yeah and I yeah it all had to come crashing down um and that happened by me moving back to Carlisle um where I'm from and starting a law firm here thinking that if I did nine to five and was in uh, my hometown and near the Lake District that it would all be fine but actually the damage had been done by that point and it wasn't just the law that had done that damage there was lots of other factors in my personal life that fed into it um but ultimately they all came at once and kind of exploded and I suppose at that point I had a what you would call a breakdown and um I had went to see a counsellor and I just remember the first time that she said to me 
do you think that you need to change your career and thinking is that even a what you know don't be so stupid like I've I've just halved my salary more than half my salary by moving to Cumbria can you imagine if I just can that whole thing in like even that was a massive step um and I just took a, a while to kind of realize but ultimately it got to the point where I was so ill that I just was not functioning properly and it was like no you need to step away and so when I say I crashed to the ground like I did I was in bed for a a long period of time and um, got to see a counsellor and got antidepressants and started to like heal and recover and I went and worked in HMV which is how um, I suppose I got reconnected to my passion for music um, which Mm. I've always been a big music lover but um, yeah that was a weird year because I'd gone from working in a massive law firm in London earning more than um, I'll probably ever earn more than my parents put together and then finished the year working as a Christmas temp in HMV. (laughs) Um, but like I was so much happier doing that and um, I mean recovering from her immense depression but so much mm. happier and my brother used to work there that's how I ended up getting a job and he saw it as a way of helping me build myself back up again and so after that it was just a kind of reset you know I went traveling for a bit which seems crazy right now that you would get on a plane when you've just been in bed for months and go to South America on my own six weeks mental that I did and and it kind of helped me I don't know just tune in with me again and reset a little bit and Mm -hmm. so when I got back from that um I I don't know I spent ages pouring over stuff and thinking what do I do and one day my brother was going to sing on BBC Introducing at Radio Cumbria and I thought huh that's you know sounds like a really interesting thing to do and he was like oh why don't you come with me you know you could sing backing vocals if you want because obviously I used to sing when I was younger mm-hmm. so I did and when I went in there I just saw this young girl presenting this show and was like god this is great and I'd always been a big lover of radio we listened to you know Radio 1 and stuff for years and it's when she said oh yeah you know once you're in the BBC you can go and shadow at these places you could like go watch a live radio show I was like what that's crazy uh, you know I'd love to do that and so she was like well why don't you apply and, and probably because at the time I was literally I was open to it because I'd I, just, I was at home just recovering basically and trying to find my way again and so I applied to do work experience at Radio Cumbria and within six months of being there I was shadowing Joe Wiley on Radio 2 and um, and then they offered me some shifts and, and then it went from there and I found myself moving back to London and sleeping on the couch in the flat which I used to rent with my best friend um earning next to nothing but working alongside people like Joe Wiley you know very sporadically at first it has to be said you know it wasn't just like suddenly you've got a full-time income definitely didn't happen um freelancing but I was just like whoa this is a u-turn like huge u-turn but I could never ever have done that if I hadn't have accepted 
that I needed to walk away from something else and literally hit ground zero because being at A&O and then suddenly jumping to do law, uh, sorry, not law, then suddenly jumping to do radio, that would be a, a huge stretch. But because I'd done this process of leaving, hitting rock bottom, like you could then build yourself back up in something else and I wouldn't recommend that like I think if you've got a plan um, of action and you can be a bit more um, structured about how you make that change then great but for me it was definitely um, not that. Mm. (laughs) Um, Just backtracking there and and your time in HMV amazing good for you for going and doing that like how amazing is that? Like, I think so many of us would feel like, oh, our ego is dented. We've been this like hotshot lawyer. But really, what is it all about? What do these labels matter? Like yeah. you said that you were so happy and you'd reconnected with your passion of music. Like, wow, like that is what it's all about. And I think that was that was like such a brave move without realizing it. And like, yeah I just think amazing that's what it's about and more of us should be doing that not like thinking from the outside in what looks good what are these shiny labels but like what would we genuinely love to do you you'd love to be listening to music advising customers around music you're a people person chatting to people like start with those things and work out from there yeah and I just think when you build those foundations only good things can come from that and it's also like what do it for me it was what do I need now like it actually makes me kind of upset thinking about it I'm like whoa the emotion that's come up because it literally saved my life like HMV saved my life because I was so so depressed and I just couldn't get out of bed and when I went to see a CBT therapist like you know I, I lost so much weight when I look at pictures of me and I'm I'm quite a thin person anyway but wow I like lost so much weight and um I couldn't eat like I couldn't go out I, I missed friends weddings like, I couldn't even get to the village next to me so mm-hmm. how I managed to get to HMV I don't know but my brother as I say used to work there and every shop that I sent something into because my CBT therapist had said it might help you to have a structure and something to get up for just try anything to like help you to get out of bed and before that I'd had to try and have some regime in my life just day to day at home but once I'd managed to do that a little bit I'd started putting feelers out and no one would look at me like who is this mental woman this crazy lady who is a lawyer who has worked at these massive firms who is asking to be a Christmas temp here. Like, I think it must have been blindingly obvious that I must have had some kind of breakdown because it was just so random. Um, but because my brother knew these people, he was like, she just needs something. Please like, give, her, give her a job. Um, mm. And so the guy there gave me gave me a chance and honestly it saved my life being locked in in the evenings after the store had finished and whacking up blink 182 which the manager absolutely loved (laughs) and just stocking up the shelves and like 
rocking out and like even just during the day you could choose what songs to have on and you were surrounded by music you didn't have to think too much about everything it was just being and that was that was amazing and just as you say when I look back at it there are loads of people would never do that I'm sure because of like you say ego or whatever but at the time for me it was it was a lifeline amazing yeah and you must have had you know to say how how rock bottom you were based on what you explained like you clearly had some strength and some inspiration to get yourself there and that is so admirable in those circumstances like maybe it was just this path you saw without really seeing it at the time you just knew you had to follow it and amazing that your brother was there as well to make that you know introduction and, and start you on that the next phase of your journey yeah and it's amazing that 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 then has you know led into helping Mm. me with radio and stuff definitely yeah amazing so what are sort of the different roles you've done or are doing within within that arena so um the first thing I did was be in um, production, which is the main thing I've done. So as an assistant producer. So, you know, when I was at Radio Cumbria, I was doing all sorts, like going and make, getting box pops and doing, uh, you know, people in the public getting their thoughts on things and making little packages. But I always, I was always on the music side of things as opposed to the news. So um, I, like I say, went back to London and started off freelancing down there, which again, I couldn't have done if it wasn't for friends, like having me stay with them. But I was a assistant producer doing various things, doing the production side of stuff on radio. So, um, you know, loading in the music, like creating packages, like sorting out scripts, like all that kind of thing. And absolutely loved it. It was just, for me, it was a challenge to do something different and learn new skills and in an environment which I was um felt so at home in and they did make me feel at home and I honestly think that if I hadn't done what I'd done before maybe I wouldn't have been taken so seriously because but because I'd done law um and had this life I remember the woman who is now I think she's now an editor at Radio 2, but at the time um, she controlled one of the Joe Wiley show. And she rang me and was like, you know, why do you want to do this? And I suppose I'd have to ask her why she gave me a shot. But um, I I think possibly the fact that I'd left something so extreme, uh, it was kind of like, okay, well, you must really want to do this, you know? Um, And so... So that's how um, I got given this chance. But yeah, I did production and then I've kind of worked my way through that, doing lots of different things um, in production through different shows at Radio 1, uh, 2, 6 Music as well, and 1 Extra. And and I've just kind of built on that and um, even went to Australia for a year to do some radio out there. And since I've come back, um, I've been putting myself into the position of being a music journalist as well which is amazing and I've always wanted to try and be behind the mic um as as well I, I kind of realized that as I went on that I'd like to do more presenting um and I kind of I don't know got myself into a position I suppose when you've when you've lost everything when you've lost everything you literally have nothing to lose and mm. so 
you have less I say that less fear when I am someone that you know does let fear seep in sometimes Mm -hmm. but it does allow you to be like well why not like what's the worst that somebody can say they can say no and so for me that meant that when I realized when I was back from Australia that I'd like to do some of the music news type stuff as a journalist I just kind of put myself in a position where I was like oh I'm going to this gig tonight you know I could get an interview with this person um, and I'd done some on-air stuff in Australia so I was able to say I've done that before now and it, I think it's just about showing people that you can do something and then going for it and doing it anyway um, even if they're not going to take it or use it just go and do that interview and so I did and then offered it and and put myself in positions where they might need some some content from and did it amazing I love that yeah um I guess the takeaway from that is I don't know you just for me such a go-getter even though (laughs) I guess there's lots of obstacles going on you 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 still a go-getter and you make stuff happen I love that about you and yeah I think that's great advice like go do it if you love it do it especially if you're going to be there anyway for example the the gig example that you gave people can't say no to that well they could they could be like oh well we can't use that this time but it's there for them like present it show it do it yeah yeah and then you're in their mind afterwards and I I mean I booked to go to a, a festival in Texas um and called South by Southwest and a friend of mine had a stage there and she had a spare ticket and I was like okay um yeah okay sure I'll come kind of thing and just booked my my flights which you know I probably made a loss going there um or just about broke even in terms of the cost but by being there I put myself in a position where I was able to get content for Six Music um, and I was able to approach one of the shows that has a music news presenter in Manchester and say, Radcliffe and McConey, and say, do you want me to kind of do a report from there? And they were like, yeah, that'd be great. And so I rang up at like four o'clock in the morning because that was the the eight o'clock in the morning here or something. And um did a report and then after that you kind of proved that you will go to that extreme to get get something for them and then they've given me opportunities after that um mm. so I do think it's one of my friends once said to me that she wanted to get this poster framed which says every day I'm hustling and she's like you know you're a hustler and I'm like <laughs> yeah I suppose I am you you just have to put yourself out there and go and get what what it is that you, you want and um and that will come with sacrifices and compromises and things you know I've never earned so little <laughs> I suppose in the past five years compared to when I was a lawyer I mean but um it's it's what I want to do and what I enjoy mm, yeah amazing and and when you said about that trip to Texas and breaking even, the thing that popped up in my mind as well is not everything is about money. It is no. in that it helps, but the value of that experience, you were going to a gig that you enjoy anyway, the connections you would have made there. Um, there's 
there's value just beyond huge value coming in and out like yeah yeah huge value and you know everything I did at the BBC when I was in London because obviously I'm I'm not in London anymore but like all that stuff I I you know I I didn't earn very much money at all and I had a very different life there you know I cycled to work every day because I didn't want to have to pay for the tube um and I stayed and I lived in a house share of like six people in Hackney having lived in you know a massive well no it wasn't massive having lived in a lovely flat in um Islington with my best friend I'd gone into this like massive house share you know and mm. so, again stuff like that some people wouldn't be willing to do but because because it was my passion I was like no I'm going to do this and as you say it's not about the money it's about the experience and 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 being true to who you are and and going down a path that I'll I'll never regret doing because I've had such amazing experiences Mm, yeah exactly and I know that one of your roles at the moment is you present um a radio show called the flip side where you showcase alternative upcoming music and I love tuning into this I have to confess I'm more of a a mainstream commercial person when it comes to music but tuning into <laughs> this has definitely opened my mind and brought some like new new music into my world <laughs> and yeah you're amazing at it as well and I just love how yeah you've got a passion for music and you're you're a huge champion of new music yeah. and you're able to curate a show out of that and inspire people and entertain people well, I mean, thank you for saying that because that is one of the things that um, ha- has to come from a passion because, you know, it's a community radio station, it's on Reform Radio, you don't get paid for that. It is one of my roles, but it's um, and something that I take great pride in and um, really enjoy doing and it's a big passion of mine, but, you know, you don't do that stuff for the money. You do it because you love it um, and it takes a lot of time to, like, go through lots of music find different gems and try and stitch something together and also sometimes I do wake up and think what am I doing like I I must be mad (laughs) like especially in lockdown because you know I'm not going into a studio um I've had to like buy some equipment and do it from home and you do wake up and sometimes you know I get really nervous and then when you start you're like oh no it's fine you're fine but initially you're thinking I mean am I talking into the ether and absolutely no one's listening but (laughs) so so many of my friends and family do and they send me messages and uh, say how you know it's really been really uplifting and brought people together um even if you know it's not some kind of massive audience it's it's doing it for myself um as well as those people and I think what I've learned from that and from everything that I've done is that ultimately it is you've got to do something for you and if you don't enjoy it or don't thrive off it then people will people will sense that and also you are probably doing it for the wrong reasons um Mm. so I, I yeah I'm I love doing it. It's um, a challenge every month to try and bring together, 
yeah and a, a good playlist and and I self-produce it the whole thing and obviously do all the technical side of stuff um which from home oh god it's fun and games but you know I'm, I'm learning and you kind of <laughs> You learn, as you will have done making this podcast, you know, you learn new skills and then you can put those into play in other ways in your life, which you maybe didn't realise before. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Definitely. Yeah, it's been a learning curve starting the podcast because like audio or anything techie really has not been and is, yeah, it's not been within my skill set at all. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah that's amazing about your music show and I love how you summarized there about um, I thought it was really powerful the way you said like how you know it shines through if you're not passionate about something and that's where it starts your passion and connection for something so I think yeah that's a really useful piece of advice and so what other work are you involved with at the moment? So I do um, obviously produce Annie's podcast mm. um, and I also produce Angela Scanlon's at the moment. Thanks a million. Um, so yeah, podcast production is the main thing that I'm doing um, as well as music journalism on Six Music. Um, I do this week in music on Radcliffe and Maconi every now and again when Claire, the normal person that does it, isn't around. And so that's um, like my kind of audio side of things but I have also started doing some law work as you know mm. um, yeah yeah um so yeah Louise and I consult for the same law firm Ignition Law which is like a forward-thinking law firm and they've been um sort of ahead of the curve really and and being um doing things in more of a dynamic way for a number of years and so yeah we both sort of consult for them on like a part-time agile basis and I think it's amazing how they how they are open to that because it enables um, people like us who have other passions and skills to to express ourselves our fullness we don't necessarily certainly speaking for myself wanted I didn't necessarily want to walk fully away from law but when I stepped away from law I just thought you had to be in this all-in all-encompassing sort of traditional type of career I didn't realize there was another kind of law until I came across Ignition and I know when we had one of our first conversations it wasn't on your radar either you were similar like you just thought you had to walk away from law entirely because law brought with it that all-consuming way of working and which obviously for the reasons we've been through didn't sit well with you but um yeah yeah you've been able to get a nice balance still being bringing out the lawyer in you and doing all (laughs) these other different things I think yeah I mean there's quite a few things to I feel like need um picking with it in that Mm. um you know I I have learned a lot about myself over this past five years since I left law, probably six now in 2021, um, <laughs> <laughs> a new year. Um, yeah, it's been, a lot has happened. And in that time, obviously, I have moved back to London and then I've left London again. And in being in London, I realised that no matter what job I was doing, um you know, I've tried it now in two very, very different roles, um, that that city is an amazing city, but not for me. Um, And I need to be able to escape 
to the countryside way easier than you can do um, in London. And, you know, there's lots of things about it that I, I struggled with. And so that has added an extra layer of challenge for me because there isn't as much radio work or um, music stuff outside of London there is in Manchester but not it's not quite as much there, there isn't the same stuff there um so that's been that's been a challenge and, and that is what has brought me back to thinking how can I um create some form of stability because my work in radio is freelance um and I think because of that, I wanted to make sure that I had some of the kind of um, stable work that I was able to drop in and out of. And also there is, you know, a part of my brain that I've used in the past that I now want to come out again, like and use that intellectual side a little bit more. And so I was kind of exploring how could I do that, but it not be a huge part of everything that I do and so that's how I came across you um when you were on a podcast and talking about what you do now and I thought god that's I've never heard of anything like that and I think a lot of my friends in law now have been shocked to see what I have been able to do um Mm. so yeah as speaking made me realize you can do something different and speaking to the people at ignition you know they weren't scared when I when I went on um, a call with them I thought they would probably laugh me out of the park and be like um don't be so stupid you know you've not done it for five years um you were very junior when you left and um you know you you clearly have this other life that's your main passion why Mm. would we take a, a punt on you but they they have done and that's you know hats off to them for for being different in the way that they think about how people can work because I'm perfectly capable of doing both things um but I suppose part of that that I've had to kind of try and wrestle with a little bit is the label of who you are and um that is an interesting one because the reaction that you will get off people when you say you're a lawyer compared to when you say that you're a radio producer or a music journalist is very very different and I suppose that period of my life when I left law and everything went out the window I learned that even if and loads of people will have learned this this year through Covid and losing their jobs um even if you lose your livelihood and your job, you are still you. No one will ever take your passions, your drive, your personality away from you. And just because you are a lawyer sometimes or a radio presenter sometimes, it it doesn't matter that they are just labels. They are part of something that you do, but it is not it's not who you are ultimately so true yeah thanks for bringing this up because I've had some sort of some like interesting conversations and analysis in my own mind about the meaning of labels and who we are and um and we express ourselves through the labels like if you meet someone and they're like what do you do oh I'm a lawyer it's like kind of like end of conversation I know who you are that person makes up various assumptions about you based on that and I remember the first time I considered well what's the meaning of all these titles and labels um it was about four years ago now I'd quit my um traditional legal career and I was going traveling 
<clears throat> and I remember getting to Thailand and you had to write your occupation on your entry yeah. form. I thought, well, who the hell am I? What do I do? Like mm. at that point, I felt like I walked away from law because of of the way it was. And yeah, I didn't know what lay ahead of me. I was having time out. So what do you write? Who am I in this situation? It's And yeah. it's strange how the world puts such a big focus on you on do. your occupation and that question you mentioned it before what do you do well when someone asks that well, what do you mean what do I do really you could say I'm a human I breathe I eat I love I do, do, do. but actually what they're asking is what do you do for work what do you do for money yeah and so much is tied to that in terms of our identity in it's just become like a societal norm that we identify ourselves through our work and I think What's entrenched that bit more as well is is this notion that you do one thing, like the traditional view, what do you do? It's singular, isn't it? Yeah. But now, like, more and more people are working in these sort of multi-hyphened ways. It's like when someone asks that, well, which bit of me do you want to oh, hear I about? know, what it's do you want to hear like, about? Where, where do, do I start? start? Yeah, and it's, it's like, do you give everyone the full shebang of your whole journey? Do you yeah. just say one thing? Do you say it all? Um, no, And even on the <laughs> self-assessment forms, which I've just had to fill out, you know, it's mm. like, what's your occupation? You're like, well, uh, that's an interesting one. Because now, for the first time in a very long time, I am a practising lawyer again. Um mm. And yes, it's not everything that I do and I have this other stuff. But the thing is that I think more than ever um, now because of COVID, um, people understand that everyone's had to adapt and be um, agile and pivot, I think is a good word, you know, mm-hmm. and try and try and use your skills. And I think I've had to kind of struggle, well, not struggle, I've had to kind of, get used to the fact that there are various things that I do and that be okay because ultimately what does it matter and also you do learn as you get older that no one cares (laughs) the only person that cares about what you do is you and the only person that you have to answer to is you but for a long time you do go even now you know I, I think oh do I mention that I do this as well sometimes to other people and it is something that I struggle with a little bit um but I don't know why because ultimately I'm sure people would be like oh wow okay cool that's well done you for doing that as well but like part of me thinks that they'll judge me and they'll there'll be certain stereotypes that come with a label Mm. but it's ridiculous really yeah yeah you're so right when you say no one really cares that much and it is us who overthink it and like most people are just accepting they're like they just want to hear what you're about and they're like oh cool awesome what does that involve yeah 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 Yeah. and so you know and and no one that I've told that I do the law the law stuff as well has if anything they've been impressed nothing they've not been like oh what what why do you do that um and I think that's that's just part of the process of being comfortable with with being different Mm, true yeah and I was reflecting on what you do when I was preparing for this and um I was just thinking wow actually let's celebrate this because 
look at how amazing you are and all the different things you do and all the different skills and passions you're living out like a number one like those skills that you have you're a lawyer and you're an audio producer and presenter like they're two big things in themselves like they're two huge crafts that take a lot of time and effort to skill Mm -hmm. up on um in their own right and number two like let's just celebrate where we are I think like a number of years ago that wouldn't have been possible um and I think it's amazing that that you can be all of those things and and it's becoming more normalized yeah yeah no I think that's true and I do think that's right that I don't sit back and look at things and go hang on a minute you have done quite well and that's and that's something that you should be thankful for but also you know do pat yourself on the back maybe I don't know but if we're Mm. very British about these things aren't we Um, and it's always harder when you've been involved like you are in your own life you've been involved in every step and you know the ups and downs you face so it's harder to see that bigger picture yes um yeah that's why I'm always conscious to say that it's not been a walk in the park and that there are difficult periods and that you know when I was freelancing starting in radio I didn't earn loads of money I did sleep on friends couches it was a massive hustle um and you know doing the law stuff was incredibly hard work I think people just give this broad overview of things and it just sounds like the easiest thing ever but actually there has been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of um, compromise and battles along the way and you know as I say I didn't just suddenly miraculously get over having depression either you know that took a, a long time of figuring figuring stuff out and how to be how to be happy and that's another thing that you know just like in your career um in anything in life you will only you will only be able to control you and the only person that's going to be able to do anything about what you're doing um what you think about yourself um how you feel is is you it's no one else and that is the hardest thing that I have learned because you know when I had depression and had to try and figure out how to get better you just wanted somebody to tell you an answer and go right you follow these steps and then boom it'll be gone because that's what you know you've always done in the past I've always Mm. followed a step and there's been the outcome and learning that that isn't the case as you get older and that actually it's a process and it's only you that can do something uh that's that's the biggest lesson for me Mm, interesting yeah and if you could have a conversation with that previous version of Louise when she was starting to feel a bit off and like what on earth am I going to do she was feeling low if you could have a conversation with her now what would you tell her I would say um I would say to her everything is changeable don't worry, everything is changeable because I think you get into a certain thing in your life. Well, I did, you know, sat in this massive law firm down in London and you think, is this it? And that's that's the big question that I think a lot of people have in life at one point or another will be like, oh God, is this it? Like, is, is there nothing else that's going to come now? Like, if, I think the answer to that is is think everything is changeable and yes there is a certain element of having to get content and accept 
um, that life isn't always going to be one massive high and uh, it's not every, every job's going to have things that you don't love about them and um, there's always things and challenges along the way but I think knowing that you can change things you know even me going to Australia I left everything behind and went there and had no job to arrive to and started from absolute scratch just had a few contacts that I knew that worked in radio and that was it and really looking back you're like oh god that was a recipe for disaster and I won't even get into why I did that but you know um I I went and in the end made a success of it in in terms of the work and managed to get work there freelancing in their biggest radio stations a bit like the BBC but the ABC and um it was amazing and such a such a great experience but even there like when I arrived I started having to like go and walk around bars and stuff and asking for work and you're thinking oh my god have I brought myself back to to this point again like Mm. this is the second time I'm doing this now like have I gone mad and th- I mean thankfully I ended up getting working in my chosen career and and it working out but it took it took me to do that to be like okay I don't want to have to go through this process of starting from rock bottom again or um having to build up but it also showed me that you can do it and you know I managed to do it again and and being there made me realize that you know if that everything is changeable because one minute you can be in a magic circle firm in London the next minute you can be in BBC Radio in London the next minute you can be in Australia the next minute you can be in (laughs) Cumbria doing Annie Max podcast on your dining room table like life is gonna change um (laughs) and that that's okay I love that little summary of Louise's world. That's amazing. Those <laughs> milestones. Wow, what a journey. And the thing that really strikes me about you is, and I've I've already touched on this, but you're so good at making stuff happen. Like the new lives you've created and then built back up again and like going out to Australia and, and getting work on ABC. Like, wow, amazing. Yeah, I did. It is kind of mad. I don't know where that comes from. And I don't know where that comes from, but I just know that I I have to have some kind of faith in myself and and I just keep networking with people and talking to people. And I think it always comes back to people. You know, we started this conversation as to why did I want to do law? Well, uh, it was because I wanted to help people. Well, radio and podcasts and stuff they help people they get to people through the day and also they involve um people and needing people skills and I think because I've I've always had that and always been very bubbly and outgoing and I'm not sure I like that word bubbly <laughs> makes you sound like an antic but you know I've always been I've always been confident in talking to people I think that has helped me no end in in kind of getting what it is that I want in terms Mm -hmm. of what I want to do yeah yeah and what one thing if you can pinpoint it to one thing would you say makes you legally different we've probably touched on a few I mean I would say I would say that it's possibly um it is possibly that that aspect of being creative and a go-getter and so 
I mean, it sounds weird saying that about yourself, but it's um, no, I kind of get, I get, I get things. <laughs> own it, yeah. I know there was we <laughs> we did a um an episode with Bernadine Evaristo on uh, Annie's podcast, and um. I remember her speaking to her and she was so confident and self-assured. And I remember Annie saying that it's a shame that actually she's one of the few people that she has interviewed. And she obviously interviews loads of people who totally owns her success and owns the fact that she's um, done so amazingly well and who she is. And um, it like is unapologetically, I suppose, very confident in in herself and mm. I thought god yeah I wish I was like that and I mean I haven't had the success that a, a Booker Prize winner has that's um Bernadine Evaristo but you know I do think there is something in that the legally different side of things it's um being somebody who gets things done I don't like I don't mess around I just get on with stuff and if it needs to be done or I or I want to do something then I will go all in mm. and um I think I'm like that in every aspect of my life <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which isn't necessarily a good thing in some things but um you know I do I do go all in I don't yeah. live life on the edge on on the edge well I suppose I do live on the edge I don't live life on sitting on a fence I'm, I'm in it and that's the same with my approach to legal matters I suppose if mm. someone comes to me with some kind of settlement agreement and negotiation to do like I think they can be confident that I will have their back because I will I will go go all in mm-hmm. I love that yeah yeah that really shines through with you and I love that you're um you've got that going all in go getter vibe to you and you're also a creative because I think some of the sort of typical stereotypes about creatives is they're in la la land and they're woo woo and but actually you've got this amazing balance of being creative and a go-getter. Yeah, yeah. yeah I which... think I think it's the the two. And and that creative element, I think, um, means that you can be a bit more flexible in your approach to things. Mm, I think true. that probably helps in, in that department. If I was to connect it to the law side of things, it's um it's trying to be more flexible in your approach Mm, and think more creatively like different solutions and things exactly like think outside the box and don't just go go for the obvious thing yeah um but yeah the creative element just means that I'm happier as a person uh, because that is part of me that died when I went to do law Mm -hmm. um and uh it's been resurrected (laughs) amazing yeah and I think we all have this creative part of us even if it isn't in the obvious way we attach to creativity like painting or something I think it's important for us to express all different parts of ourselves to sort of feel whole and fulfilled and yeah find find what that is for us yeah yeah Mm. exactly Mm. Cool, amazing. Well, that brings us to the end. It was awesome to chat with you and go through your journey. Yeah, I love how, um, I love your northern charm. I love (laughs) how open you've been about your whole journey. And I know so many people will get so much from that. No, well, thank you for having me. And I I hope it is helpful for people. 
I'm sure it will be. And so if people want to connect with you or follow your work, how can they do that? So I am on Instagram and Twitter. I mainly use Instagram though, um, at Louise R. Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a website as well, which has everything on it, but my Instagram has a link tree with all the links to like my latest shows, my latest reports on Six Music and um, any articles that I've written or anything like that. So um, yeah, Instagram's the main one. Um, and it's got all my contact details on my website and stuff. So yeah, I'm on there. Cool, amazing, thanks. And I'll put those in the show notes as well so people can easily link through to you. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Amazing. For You're welcome. Thanks so much. And we'll catch up again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. so much for tuning in i really hope you enjoyed that episode i'd love to receive your feedback um, you can do that by leaving a rating and a review or you can get in touch personally i'd love to connect with you more you can drop me an email or a dm on instagram all of the contact details are in the show notes if you know someone who would benefit from this episode do feel free to share it with them that would be amazing and don't forget to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode lands Thanks again and until next time. Cheers.